1: Hey folks, Joe Lowry here. Before we get into our Group G World Cup preview, I wanted to let you know that we will have a review of the USMNT's loss in the Gold Cup semifinal to Panama that happened on Wednesday evening, that's July 12th. We will get to that review and do sort of a Gold Cup look back, but it's going to be next week. It'll be coming on Monday to your feeds here because we've got to finish our World Cup previews first. We're in the groove. We're going to knock through Group G on this episode and Group H on tomorrow's show. And then again, stay tuned for that USMNT look back episode coming your way on Monday. All right, let's get to Group G. Roll the music.
0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show and the latest of our 2023 World Cup group previews. Today we're going to turn our attention to Group G, or as they call it in Australia and New Zealand, Group G, mate. No worries. Easy, easy. It's an important group as its top two sides will face the top two sides of Group E, one of which is likely to be, of course, the USA. Group G's games will be taking place entirely in New Zealand, which has lots of sheep, as we've established already, and probably a bit more internet than the place I've been staying at in the last week. Apologies for my absence, dear listener, but unfortunately for you, dear listener, I am back. I being Ryan Bailey, hello. I'm back from a vacation-based exile. And joining me today, we have Mr. Taylor Rockwell. Hey, Taylor, how's it going? Which team are you going to be talking about today?
2: I'll be talking about Argentina, La Albi Celeste, the White and Sky Blues.
0: Wonderful stuff. You're looking forward to doing that? I'm assuming Damn. they're going to go as far as the men's team did in December. Oh, yeah.
2: It's a lot. Almost certainly, probably not. Uh, I'm really excited for this team and for my remaining team. Uh, I have a lot to talk about. I feel like you all might have to endure me going on for a good bit of time, which I guess is nothing new.
0: There we go. Nice change of pace there. Also with us, a man who has uh, the other Antipodean nation in this group, Joseph Lowry. Uh, South Africa is the team you shall be uh, talking about today. Antipodean, is that in your lexicon? Because It is now. You're
1: welcome. It is only because you used it on maybe the last show before you were stranded <laughs> on an island for two weeks because of an airline strike. Ryan, I'm glad that you're back. We missed you very much. Thanks again to David Goss for filling in and Graham for picking up a little extra slack as well. Ryan, we're glad that you're back on... A slightly larger and maybe more stable islands. It's good to see you and, and good to hear <laughs> to your able. voice. Maybe. maybe. Antipodean, <laughs> south of the equator. Huh? Huh? Uh, pretty uh. good, right? I'm learning things. My team, as you mentioned, is South Africa, nicknamed Banyana Banyana. Banyana, I learned, is a word that the Nguni, who are our native people in South Africa, used to mean girls. So I think that it's the same term for the men's team, just with a different word that means boys. Instead, that is South Africa. I'll get into a whole bunch more detail on them in just a few minutes.
0: Wonderful. We look forward to that, Joseph. But not before we introduce in, uh, in our Group G preview our very own G, Graham Ruthven. Hello, sir. Who you got today? Hello,
3: Ryan Bailey, and hello to your new friend, Wilson, that you have taken back from <laughs> the shipwreck with you. I will be previewing Sweden today. They go by the nickname Blågult, which translates as the blue and yellow. I seem to have a lot of these color-based nicknames in my previews. My final preview nickname tomorrow is is slightly more interesting than this one. So I'm looking forward to that one, but I'll keep that one under wraps. Um, I just don't have anything else to explain about Sweden's nickname. They play in blue and yellow. That's the nickname. That's the team I'll be previewing.
0: Well, looking forward to that, Graham, and incredibly proud of you for trailing future content. You're such a pro. You are the reason we get the big bucks around here. Uh, listener, I'm going to be telling you about my favourite country in the world, where general competence and excellent organisation rule supreme. It's Italy, of course. I'm looking forward to doing that in this episode. Uh, for the record, their nickname is La Giure, which is the blues. Uh, Gliazzuri is the masculine version of the men, obviously. Uh, we're going to go around and talk about our nicknames, the TSS nicknames for these teams as well. But not for, I give a quick thank you, by the way, to David Gus, who very ably and um, proficiently filled in for me last week, despite pronouncing... Nicknames for England incorrectly and doing high-pitched impressions of me. I, I no grudges here. I thought it the impression was sense. spot on.
1: I don't know what you're talking yeah. about, Ryan. We I all agreed. Was you, yeah, yeah we <laughs> all agreed. We basically thought it was you in that moment. Good
0: stuff. I'm glad to hear it. Well, Taylor, why don't you take us back to the wonderful world of Argentina and give I us shall. your nickname for them in this? I tourney. shall.
2: I shall. I shall. But first, Ryan, I am happy you are back. But I'm especially happy you are back for this particular episode. Grandma Joe, we did specifically engineer yes, this we so did. that Ryan yes, had to we do did. Italy, right? Okay, cool. I just wanted to make sure that, that was the thing we did. Would <laughs> you expect right. anything else? I, I think we yeah. did also give you England to balance it out, but uh you didn't get to do them, you do get to do Italy. So that makes me very happy. A team that makes me very happy is Argentina. I am super excited to talk about them. Their nickname uh, is La Albiceleste Celeste, as I said, because of their, uh, their kit colors. I am calling them the USMNT. Uh, there are a lot of parallels between Argentina and the US men's team. Uh, I know it is not always popular to compare a women's team to a men's team or a women's player to a men's player, but I think it makes sense if you follow me here. Uh, they look Argentina. Ball-dominant and very aggressive against comparable or weaker opposition. They look slow and ponderous against teams that are better organized or are physical and work hard. Uh, They look overmatched against teams that do what they are trying to do but do it better, exemplified by uh, Spain beating them 7-0. Their goals can be pretty, uh, but they're often very fluky, have a sort of fluke vibe to them, their blocks, their deflections, their giveaways from goalkeepers. The players work really hard, have a good amount of quality, have a few difference makers, but still as as an overall program have a ways to go before they are sort of top tier. But in the end, I think they are going to get out of their group, uh, which is One of the many reasons why I'm excited about them, uh, really quickly, how they got here. They finished third at the Copa America Femenina tournament, um, which is their qualifier. Um, They were second in their group behind Brazil. They lost 4-0 to Brazil, which feels very USMNT. But then they beat Venezuela 1-0, Uruguay 5-0, Peru 4-0. Lost in the semifinal to Colombia, but beat Paraguay in the third place game, uh, which is important because the top three automatically qualify. So they avoided any sort of playoff. We're able to get here directly uh, the way the U.S. did in 2022, less so in 2018. Uh, so I think there are other uh, parallels between this team and uh, USmT I'll get to them later on. But for now, that is why I have nicknamed them the way I have.
0: Very nice. Did this team also go out the Gold Cup far too early? Is that another
2: parallel? <laughs> too soon, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry. Too soon. Sorry. I mean, if they played it, it they probably would, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it all balances out. It all balances
0: out. <laughs> Excellent. Joe, why don't you give us your nickname for South Africa?
1: All right. I'm hitting South Africa as the Ghost Riders. I'll explain why now. They do all of the work <laughs> writing the book or the article. Oh, sorry, we had a day off yesterday, and I'm a little rusty. And Joe turned into Pert <laughs> happily. Uh, <laughs> the thing about me is I'm here. And I'll be telling you about South Africa, a team playing at the World Cup. The ghostwriters, they do all the work writing the book or the article while someone else gets the credit. Right? That's, that's how ghostwriting works. This South Africa team and these players are doing so much of the hard work while the South African Football Association looks to 2027 and tries to hold a World Cup and profit from it. So I'll run through quickly how they got here and then sort of explain why I talked about all that stuff. This is South Africa's second ever World Cup. The first was back in 2019 where they lost all three games and finished with a negative seven goal differential in a group with Spain, China and Germany. I mean, that is... It's a tough group. Like that is not an easy draw. And maybe this time around will be slightly better. Maybe it won't be. I think this team does have some real quality, and we'll get on to that later. They got to this World Cup via last summer's AfCON. They topped their group, which included Nigeria, beating them two to one in the process. Then they went on to win the whole thing. The whole AFCON tournament. There was the first ever AFCON win in 14 editions of the tournament. They beat Tunisia in the quarterfinals. That got them actually to the World Cup. Then they follow that up with uh, a win, and then they eventually get past Zambia and Morocco and beat Morocco in the final in Morocco to win that whole thing. So the big story for this team should be trying to take the next step on the field after an impressive AFCON win, after being at least present at the last World Cup. And I'll talk plenty about the on-field stuff again, though, and I feel like this is a, a recurring thing for us, because it is, as we're going through some of these things It is important in the case of South Africa to talk about the off-field occurrences, too. This team has been in the midst of a pay dispute with the South African Football Association. SAFA, or I don't know if it's SAFA or S-A-F-A. I'm going with SAFA because that is way more fun. There's been some genuinely crazy stuff going on here. Maybe Maybe the craziest part was this South Africa team had a game scheduled against Botswana on July 2nd. That was supposed to be a final warm-up game for South Africa before going to the World Cup. I believe they have one more game scheduled tomorrow against Costa Rica, as we're recording on Thursday, July 13th. But for that game against 2023. Botswana... <laughs> 2023. thank you, yeah, for the time capsule folks out there. The entirety, though, of this World Cup squad sat out that game against Botswana as a result of a lack of suitable pay and Safa's decision to put the game at a stadium that isn't deemed suitable for any men's game of any you know, high reputation. So... Basically, South Africa then had to scramble to find players. They asked for the game to be pushed back about an hour so that they could go and snag players from local clubs. One of the players was 13. They ended up losing that game 5-0, and it essentially ended up being a waste of time in terms of World Cup preparation because the players, again, didn't play and made the sacrifice to give up a chance of, of getting further prepared for the World Cup. It's another example of these players being asked to do the heavy lifting, on and off the field for these federations. So it's it's frustrating and in some ways there has been progress, which I guess is good since that Botswana game. The Minister of Sport in South Africa got involved, urging the federation to meet with players and, and come up with something that would be somewhat sustainable, at least for the near future. Um, basically the, the South African federation, or maybe it was the Minister of Sport, that part's a bit hazy, approached a foundation set up by CAF president, Patrice Pozzepe, looking for money. And that foundation came through with like $320,000 to be split between these players. Maybe there's a currency change there. But either way, they secured some money to go along with the money that's coming from FIFA and going directly to these players to try to provide some stability. But it, it doesn't really speak to the longer side of things here, right? The longer term stuff is very much up in the air. And I said it briefly in the introduction, like. This is a country bidding to host the 2027 World Cup. They they're the they're one of the other bids on the table along with USA, Mexico, and this is how they treat their players. They they aren't seemingly willing very often to come to the table to talk. There are concerns again putting them in a stadium for this game against Botswana. That's not where they put any men's games. Like there's just so many challenges to all this stuff. It's crazy. And in a lot of ways I really hope this team shows out on the field later this month.
0: Thank you very much. Joe, uh SAFA, Saffa. Graham, that's a is that a semi offensive term for a person from South Africa if i am not mistaken. Uh,
3: why are you asking me? <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> I think if a uh, Saffa maybe uh maybe I uh, will need to cut this onto the floor at some point but uh anyway Graham, why don't you tell us about Sweden? The uh the big shark in the tank of group G. Is that what we can mm. call them?
3: Yeah, or we can call them the Nearly Women, which is my TSS nickname. As you mentioned there, Ryan, Sweden are one of the superpowers of, of the women's game, but they do have a bit of a habit of falling just short. So they were World Cup runners-up in 2003. They have finished third three times at World Cup level, including at the last World Cup in 2019 when they lost out to the Netherlands in, in the semifinals. They were also runners-up at the Tokyo Olympics and the 2016 Olympics, and they made the semi-finals at the Euros last year. So you recognise a theme here, a common thread, and no team has played as many games as Sweden in the Women's World Cup without ever ever winning the tournament. So that just underlines what I'm saying about them falling short quite often. Um, They looked very strong in qualification, where they won seven out of eight matches, they finished top of their group, um, and their only draw came against uh, Ireland, who I previewed earlier last week. That's, there's no shame in that. They're a decent team. Their recent form in tune-up friendlies hasn't been so hot, though. They lost to Denmark, and then they drew against uh, Germany and Norway. So those are difficult opponents. They seem to have given themselves quite a, a, a tune-up program ahead of this tournament. But nonetheless, it's uh, they, they haven't been racking up the wins recently. I wouldn't I wouldn't read, read too much into it, because when it has mattered most in recent years, Sweden have, have generally produced the goods. This is a squad with a lot of talent. They have a handful of truly world-class players, so that is enough to make Sweden a threat on on its own. But on top of this, Sweden are a team that generally is at least a sum of its parts. They, They do tend to achieve what they're expected to achieve. They have a manager who's been in place for a long time. They have an approach that works for them. And there aren't many teams at this World Cup, at least that I've come across, that seem to be as settled as Sweden are at this moment in time. So I have to admit... This segment, which is meant to be the story of the team, isn't really the most exhilarating or interesting with Sweden. I was struggling to find a really compelling thread. I found some stuff about the collapse of their domestic game and in the, in, in the domestic league in Sweden and that causing concern. But this is a preview of the national team. The national team is in pretty good shape. And yeah, they're just pretty settled at the moment. So they look to be in pretty good shape ahead of this tournament.
0: Very nice. And extra points for you, Graham, for not um, referencing IKEA at all during that opening <laughs> uh, segment. There. Thank you very much. That's coming much. later. That's oh, coming later. Good, good. I hope it will. And some meatball references. I wrote
3: all my notes with the wee pencils. We all steal.
0: <laughs> I love the uh, the little tape measures you get, which are so useless <laughs> and break instantly in IKEA. Wonderful stuff. Uh, why don't I give you a little pre of uh, La Azzurri, the Italians. My nickname for them, Taylor, is Popular music because they were a lot better in the 90s. Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Were they? Uh, i mean they were and music was is my opinion okay. here taylor it was, this is the case uh I'm doing.
2: i mean i don't know creed limp biscuit they're all kind of throwing yep. running around in the late 90s right agreed all
0: great you're right you're right <laughs> all um, great okay so, cool 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 so, good to know where your head's at i'm so, gonna be
2: quiet for a while
0: wonderful stuff essentially Italy's uh 2019 world cup performance was their first world cup appearance since 1999 the last good year that music was produced i will uh, proffer that once more <laughs> um italy qualified twice in the 90s in 91 and 99 uh the reached the quarterfinals in 91, the group stage in 99 as well, and then a huge desert, nada, nothing, niente, if we're going to talk Italian here. Uh, the Euros, they were also good in the 90s at the Euros, they were finalists in 1993 on home soil, they were finalists in 97 as well in Norway and Sweden. However, um, you can couch that info in the fact that the 93 edition of the Euros had four teams and the 97 had eight teams. But as I say, encouraged by that last World Cup performance, not so much by the last Euros performance, are the Italians. We'll maybe get to that in a minute. But basically, my case here is that Italy light music went into decline after the year 2000. Now they're back on their feet. They're looking for a revival, just like the 90s. The 90s, Joe, we were talking about this before we recorded. It's cool, right? I see you over there playing with your pogs and listening to your
1: hootie and the blowfish (laughs) on your Sony Discman, Joe. Is that right? Yeah? Yeah, You you and I had that exact conversation. I actually said all those things from the 90s. They're all very special to me almost as special as the fact that ryan (laughs) mentioning a desert which i'm counting as our arizona tie-in for this episode we are back on track folks we're back baby wait hold on you can't have it both
3: ways you can't tell us there's no sand in arizona and then claim the desert as an arizona reference
1: sand is not the only thing that makes a desert graham it doesn't just have to be like the sahara there are other kinds of (laughs) deserts and we have those disagree Snakes as well? Is that another
0: thing? I mean, we do, we sand, have snakes. no rain. We have I think it's
2: pretty much one and two. If I say a sandy place where it never rains, uh, I feel like you think the desert or, yeah, pretty much the desert. That's it. I have no witty uh, second thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Taylor doesn't have a witty second thing. I win. <laughs>
0: To jump back in with the Italians, just a, a quick brace on how they got here. They topped UEFA, uh, their UEFA group. Nine wins and one loss in that group. 40 goals scored and two against. They're only beaten by Switzerland, who got 44 goals in that group, by the way. It's interesting, I've seen, I've got first-hand experience with this, so the way that women's soccer is slowly getting bigger in Italy. Uh, Serie A Feminile went professional in 2022. It was fast-tracked after the aforementioned success of the 2019 World Cup campaign when they went to the quarterfinals. Starting to get bigger crowds at there are games catching up with the rest of Europe? I'd say it's not quite at the level of uh, England and, and, and Spain in, in that respect, but Italy's always catching up with the rest of Europe if you're gonna ask me in that respect. Um this I made that a
2: mistake to give Ryan Italy, I'm now realizing. <laughs> I'm now realizing I'm
0: getting less subtle. Uh, the Italian FA <laughs> has sort of been criticized for a lack of investment in the women's game, but that is getting better. And Milena Bertone, the the coach of the Italian side sort of recognises that Italy is behind in Europe. She says, We're growing and we'll gradually be able to bridge the gap that separates us from top-tier selections. To succeed, we need to continue and invest and work at 360 degrees, just like England did, which has an incredible following when it plays in order for movement to grow. No aspect must be overlooked. But you'll look at the um, Champions League quarterfinals, Roma hosting FC Barcelona this season with uh, over 40,000 fans at the Olimpico. So things are heading in the right direction for Italian soccer for the women's side, definitely. But as I say like the men's team they miss a lot of World Cups boom boom Uh, 2019 the first World Cup since 1999 they knocked out the European Championships as I mentioned afterwards there so now very much the stage is set for this team to have a point to prove they're in successive World Cups for the first time bouncing back from a bad Euros they have to try and do something positive Taylor for the nation they have to try and make up for the fact that they have the world's worst person as a citizen Giorgio Chiellini they've got to try and get some positive PR for the nation this is their stage to do so definitely a mistake Uh. (laughs) yeah
2: I I think he's I think you meant to say uh, the world's greatest hero Giorgio Chiellini who's a totally fair defender who does everything by the book.
0: Mm, no. All right, so that is Italy. Let's take a quick break. We've got plenty more to talk about from this group. We're going to talk about the coaches, the tactics, the key players, the VSPs. You've been here before, listen, you know how this one rolls back after these messages.
2: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Well, luckily, with 24/7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
4: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham.
0: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our World Cup Group G preview. Let's talk about the coaches, maybe a bit of tactics as well. Taylor, take us Mm -hmm. to the wonderful world of Argentina's management structure.
2: I shall do so. I shall do so because I found it really, really interesting. Uh, Argentina is managed by a gentleman whose name I might mispronounce, but I think it's Hermann Dario Portanova. Uh, Hermann spelled like German. Uh, he's a 49-year-old Argentine manager, retired as a player, former professional in 2003, took over the Argentina gig in 2021. And there's not a ton of information on him like directly available, but digging a little deeper, uh, prior to that, he managed a small club called UAI Orqueza in Argentina, I was not familiar with them at all. I'm guessing you all probably are not either. I'm guessing most people are not, but this is where things get very interesting to me. So they are a club uh, founded as a men's team in, ni- in the 1950s by railroad workers. The men's team exists around the third division in Argentina. Generally, they're there, sometimes second division, mostly in the third. But the women's team is the difference maker. They've won the league title five times. They've competed in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, for a comparison, the league, the women's league in Argentina has been won 27 times by Boca, 11 by River, and then five by UAI Orqueza. So you have the two biggest clubs in Argentina winning most of them. Then you have this upstart team. And when they won, they won it five times in eight years with Hermandario uh, Portanova as their manager. And they basically became the club that was responsible for developing a ton of young Argentine talent before they moved to, say, River and Boca or abroad. Uh, And this present team has two players that still play for them and then eight players that have played for them all under uh, Herman Dario Portanova. So 10 players in this squad have played for him at various points in their club careers, which, to continue the USMNT comparison, reminds me of 2002 under Bruce Arena, where he had UVA grads and DC United players in there. And it just feels like there's a ton of familiarity between the coach and the players and the players themselves uh, in terms of how they're likely to play. Uh, they have messed around with a back three, but that is when they were trounced 7-0 by Spain. So I'm guessing we don't see as much of a back three, back five in this one. More likely is that they're going to go with a 4-3-3 with Lorena Benitez as the deepest midfielder. It gets listed as a 4-2-3-1 a lot, but she is definitely the, the single pivot when they're in possession. Uh, Dinah Falfan will be on her right. She does a lot of the defense tracking and defensive covering uh, and then Florencia Bon Segundo I think is one of their most important players she'll be on the left side of that midfield three uh, but in a more advanced position that is my guess defensively it's more of a 4-4-2 mid block most of the time Bon Segundo joining the striker who's likely Mariana Larroquette uh, and they're going to press high intermittently that seems to be when they create most of their chances is when they do press for like five and ten minute spurts and force turnovers deeper other than that, they, they try to kind of have a sustained possession cycle. They move it around from left to right along the back and through the midfield but it sort of consistently breaks down. They usually end up going wide and then looking for crosses. I feel like that's been a feature of a lot of teams we've talked about. And so they can create from open play. Oftentimes it's set pieces and then goals scored on the counter after kind of forcing those turnovers. So it's a 4-4-2 mid-block that occasionally will uh, go all-out press. And otherwise they're going to be in more of a 4-3-3. But I think they're going to be an an interesting and entertaining team that will have lots of possession, but at times will look a little bit dull as they sort of probe for opportunities
0: okay I was going to ask if there was some good threads there between the men's side but the then you tacked on the dullness which maybe separates them is that fair
2: I mean, I feel like Argentina sometimes look look dull. I mean, I, I think, you know, and then they lose to Saudi Arabia. So you never know. Sometimes <laughs> they don't take their chances. And sometimes when they do, they don't create enough to make things happen. Uh, that said, they are the reigning World Cup champions. So, yes, the men have done just fine in terms of figuring a way uh, through defenses. The one, I would say, difference that probably matters is that Argentina is certainly on the women's side, not a powerhouse. They're not sort of an un- unheralded underdog sort of team. They've they've been in World Cups before. This is their second straight one. They've uh, competed plenty in, in the Copa America, uh, as well as other regional competitions. So they have experience, but they're definitely not going to be the team that everybody sits deep and is terrified of because Lionel Messi is there. They will have, I think, more opportunities because teams will be a little bit more open and I think try to be more aggressive and more dominant in possession. And I think that will create opportunities for argentina as well
0: amazing scenes Tata thank you very much joe let's hear a bit about south africa's coach and the way they're gonna do it on the field
1: south africa are coached by desiree ellis 60 year old manager from south africa she played for south africa was a captain and an excellent player in her time was nominated for african women's footballer of the year she retired in 2002 started coaching eventually took charge of south africa in 2016 as an interim manager, taking over for Vera Powell, who's coaching Ireland at this tournament. Graham, I don't remember what group that was, but Graham did talk about Vera Powell and some of the the difficult and strange things surrounding her and Ireland at this tournament. Um, Ellis ended up taking over for Powell after the team's group stage exit at the 2016 Olympics. So she was in that interim role for a while, was given the permanent job in 2018, got them that AFCON win that I mentioned earlier last year, and then to a World Cup in the process. So, you know, by and large, it has been a hugely successful spell for Ellis, certainly in terms of winning that that tournament in Africa and now qualifying for this competition. Tactically, South Africa are not really in a position to dominate games against the elite. They they won't dominate a lot of those, but there is a real intensity still in how they play. That's maybe the thing that stood out to me most from watching this team. They defend in mostly a 4-4-2 under Ellis, but some... You know, four, three, three or four, five, one as well, with the wingers falling back and, and instead of having that midfielder join the striker in the front line, they might keep that player a little bit deeper. They're very fluid in how they defend, which can be a really good thing with players stepping forward to mark a player in their zone. It's not, it's not full-on player-to-player defending, but it is a lot of player-oriented defending. So if somebody, if Graham's a, a left back and Ryan's making a run up the right wing, so the left side for Graham, the right side for Ryan's team. Like Graham is gonna step forward. He's not just gonna stay in a wade and backpedal and backpedal back even if wait. Ryan doesn't have the ball Well, I don't know Graham I, Graham's just trying to get nutmegs out. Here, so that maybe that was a bad example <laughs> uh, He's not he's not just gonna drop and drop He's likely to step forward in those moments and try to apply some pressure. So at times the way South Africa defend can look pretty scattered with players running all over the place and trying to keep up with their opponents but it can be effective as well and kind of throw people off their game. So they won't intentionally overextend against really good teams, but they clearly do want to break up field even when they're back in a lower block. Like, they, they don't want to be there. They're not comfortable there. They want to step out. They want to put on a little bit of pressure at least and then transition into the attack. And when they do attack, they tend to be pretty direct with the ball. They'll, they'll hit a couple of safe passes between goalkeeper and, and center back, and, and to the other center back maybe, and then boom, they'll go for that direct ball to a winger or a checking striker. Lots of quick combinations in midfield, want to move the ball upfield out, out of that area really as soon as possible, and break into the attacking half and into the final third. The wingers and strikers focus really on running into the depth, like running into that, that depth behind the opposing back line. They have plenty of players. Thambi Katlana, who plays for Racing Louisville in the NWSL, is one of those uh, who can cause real problems for opposing defenses in that part of the field. Uh, Another player who I think can do some of that is Hilda Magaya. She's someone to watch, and I'll talk more about both Katlana and Magaya later on in the key players section. They can cause real problems running and being a bit more direct. So coming into this World Cup for South Africa, I think they'll have to be very sharp in possession. And and maybe the, the most important thing for them is purposeful, and and organized in their own way. Like, even with that player-oriented defensive scheme, like, organized and compact enough to limit really high-quality attacking chances for their opponents. But, I mean, I think they've got at least a little bit of a shot. I don't think they should be favored to get out of this group, but I don't think this is the hardest group at this World Cup. And South Africa have shown that they can find some success in tournament play, thinking back to AFCON, and they have a way of playing. We'll see if everything comes together and, and leads to some success in this group.
0: Joe... Uh, arguably the weakest team in this group, certainly by ranking. You've mentioned uh, things about organization and a scattered defense. That makes me slightly concerned
1: for this team. Yeah,
0: yeah. Do you think there's the potential for some beatdowns here?
1: There is absolutely the potential. Like it, it's this double-sided coin of in one reality, and I don't think this is the most likely one. But in one reality, like I just said it's possible that things come together and they're sharp and and direct and quick in possession and they have the quality and the athleticism and some of the technical ability to punish teams in transition or with that direct play in possession. That can be effective in their defensive approach, even though it's a little bit scattered. It could be like positive chaotic energy, right? Where it's like confusing for the opposition and they can't truly train against it, right? In training, coming into these games for Argentina and Italy and Sweden, right? So there could be an edge there. I do think the more likely outcome is that South Africa struggled to defend against some of these teams and they're not super dangerous on the break. But it is possible, if not likely, it is possible that things go the other way and we do see some success for South Africa, at least relative to 2019.
0: Wonderful stuff. Thank you very much. Uh, Graham might tell us a bit about the coaching and the approach of the Swedes.
3: Okay, so Peter Gerhardsen is the Sweden head coach and he's been in charge of the national team since 2017. So... Women's football fans out there will be familiar with him. Certainly Sweden fans are familiar with him. They have developed a lot under his control and he has a contract until 2025. So the National Federation are pretty happy with him at the moment. And it would take a disastrous World Cup, I think, for that situation to change. He is a a very understated person. I watched a few interviews with him. You don't get a huge amount out of him in those interviews and in the press conference. He doesn't give much away on the touchline either. But he seems to be a pretty safe pair of hands, and, and that's been a good quality for him so far. Um, in terms of tactics, Sweden are expected to play in a 4-2-3-1 shape at this World Cup. That is the formation they've used used most frequently this year. And if we go back through past tournaments, that tends to be what Gerhardsen sees as his default setting. So I think it's safe to assume that will be the main framework for this World Cup as well. In terms of Sweden's general approach... They will dominate possession in most matches that they play, but that does often happen due to the talent advantage that they have over their opponents. In matches against similar caliber teams, they will focus on counter pressing and then playing directly into the attacking areas at speed. They are very aggressive with the number of passes they play into the final third. They could certainly do with being a bit more ruthless in front of goals because they are underperforming their XG over the last 12 months by quite a distance. But nonetheless, they do have an attacking threat. They like to create overloads. They like to get numbers forward. Uh, On one side, they like to keep the pitch nice and wide. And then on the other side, they will play a little bit narrower, mainly to get the best out of a certain superstar that I will mention later on. Um, There is also a fluidity. ...to the Swedish attack, so you'll have players changing position throughout matches... ...which obviously makes it very difficult for opponents to keep track... ...and they are a team that likes to make good use of quick switches... ...so they will build up play down one side... ...and then very quickly go over to the other side... ...where they will have, in theory, at least more space and time... ...to push further forward or even get into the box... ...get a shot away, make a final pass, whatever... ...so they are a team that will challenge you in a number of different ways... ...as an attacking threat, that is where they are strongest defensively they press high up the pitch they want to win the ball back in midfield or in the opposition half the 4-2-3-1 it will usually become a 4-4-2 out of possession which makes them compact more difficult to play through play through in the middle of the pitch so the idea is that they force opponents out wide um, or if they try to play through Sweden through the midfield they will have the numbers to swarm them and win the ball back so generally speaking it's a pretty solid approach for Sweden, they have used this approach and shape for the majority of his time in charge, of Gerhardsen's time in charge, I should say, um, and this could be this generation of Swedish players' last chance to, to, to win a World Cup, because there is a genera- generational transition coming at some point soon, but for this tournament... Everything to continue the theme uh, of, that I've, I've already laid out with Sweden. Everything seems to be in pretty good working order. They are pretty set for this tournament. Um, yeah, I am looking forward to seeing them play in a sense, but I kind of, of all the teams that I have previewed, this is the most confident I've been in terms of knowing what to expect. They haven't really changed for a number of years.
0: Okay. And Graham, you mentioned their approach against similar caliber teams. Do you think they're going to need to employ that in the group stage, or are we talking later on in the competition?
3: Yeah, I think later on in the competition is where they will. They're they're in the US side of the bracket, right? That's, that, that's um Yeah, so certainly against the US, the US probably dominate the ball in that game. Although Sweden will will have possession themselves but nonetheless we'll see more of that counter pressing and aggressive attacking style of play against teams like the u.s and in the, the knockout rounds
0: wow so the, the uh, tldr for sweden is everything's fine and graham's confident about you i like that uh...
3: yes yeah, that, that's probably the worst thing about their world cup prep actually the fact that i am confident that okay. that's a bad sign so yeah. you're feeling unconfident
0: about your confidence to uh, be clear exactly that's, <laughs> that's 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 where i sit most of the time anyway okay Enjoy that, sweets. Thank you very much. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Italy and their coach, Melinda Bertolini, who I mentioned a little earlier, gave you a quote from her earlier. She had a 17-year career in Italian soccer as a player, as a defender. Since 2001, has been in the management game. She's managed Verona, Reggiana and Brescia. Uh, won three Serie A Femminile titles and three Coppa Italia as well. Uh, she won Serie A in her second season as a manager with Verona as well. She's also a six-time Pancinador, the best Serie A Femminile manager as well. So suffice to say, she's got the credentials, certainly on the domestic front, and has been the national team coach since 2017. Trying to understand a bit more about her profile and her approach, I feel like in many ways she's a risk taker. Um in that she's omitted her veteran captain from the squad, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Also, included some fairly inexperienced teenagers in the squad as well, notably Yulia uh, Dragoni, who's 16 years old, a Barcelona midfielder, only Italian player in this squad who plays outside of Italy, incidentally, um, and moved uh, from Inter to Barcelona uh, this January. Um, first female player from outside Spain to train at the Mazia as well, interestingly. Made her debut for Italy. 10 days ago, as we record, and into the squad here. Also got a 19-year-old Fiorentina midfielder, Emma Severini, in this squad, does Bertolini. Uh, her and Dragoni only made their international debuts, as I mentioned there, a matter of days ago. But in terms of the tactical approach, a lot of pundits have made some comparisons here with mancini's men's side bertolini tends to prefer a 4-3-3 he might do the occasional 4-2-3-1 against sterner opposition higher caliber opposition maybe outside of the group stage as we mentioned there um they like to have the ball though just this italy side play out from the back lots of beautiful modern stuff pressing with numbers according to total Analysis.com, which is a very useful site they average 55 percent possession over the last year in all games so they tend to have more of the ball than their opponent as well and a few similarities I picked out Graham from the Swedish team they do like to play high up the pitch uh, like to press high up sometimes will therefore struggle in defensive transition can get caught out so I'm interested to see how two teams who have that kind of approach will find themselves against one another in this group could be some fireworks there Graham who knows
3: yeah, it could be the standout match of 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 this group, not just in terms of the tactical approach, but the talent as well. Italy seem to be on an upward, an upward curve. So yeah, I'll be circling that one in my calendar
2: unacceptable this argentina slander will not stand uh, argentina, Look, argentina italy argentina, is going to be
3: fascinating to me by the argentina, way. argentina not scotland at the
0: last world cup in really uh-huh.
2: painful
3: circumstances yeah. so they're yeah. dead to me
2: deservedly so <laughs> deservedly so
0: impartiality reigning in this section very good to hear all right why don't we take another quick break when we come back let's talk a bit more about the key players from these squads we're going to give our predictions for this group as well back shortly Total Soccer Show. Welcome back to our Group G preview. We're all having a lovely time here. Joe hasn't put down his pogs yet. He's still playing with his '90s stuff, but we'll uh, we'll get him undistracted to talk about key players very shortly. In fact, Joe, why don't you do that right now? Let's talk about the key players
1: from the South African side. If you just put down those pogs, do you know what pogs are? No, no, I, I won't. <laughs> um, no, that was a no to. I won't. I I've heard of pogs before. Is it like a little game that you have? I don't know what. I don't know what it is. Like a little handheld game. It's, it's very it analog. Is?
2: Yeah, no, no, it's that you're nailing it, Joe. Keep, keep describing what you think Pogs is based on it being a handheld game.
1: Mm, no, I'm good. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move past <laughs> I mean, that. Um, it's like this, little,
2: isn't it? Like little, like cardboard discs that you have to like slam or yeah. something like that, yeah. and you collect as many as you can. It's, it's, Joe. Don't worry about it. You're
1: fine.
0: You do hold okay. them in your hands, Joe. Ah, yeah.
1: see, mm-hmm. nailed it. <laughs> Crush it. This
0: reminds me of a uh, Back to the Future 2 when the kids go up to the uh, the, the the arcade game. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you have to use your hands. You use it's your like hands. a baby toy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Um, should I start talking about South Africa now or yeah, should that come yes, later? Well, yeah, cool. Okay, I didn't know if Graham wanted to do a Marty McFly monologue for a while or what. Um, I'll save off right. the Patreon. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Uh, on this 23-player squad for South Africa, all but seven players play in South Africa, which I, I think does give a little bit of an idea, generally, of the level of this team, right? You mentioned them as, as the lowest-ranked team coming into this in Group G. I'll run through those players now. One of them plays in Spain with Ibar. That's 37-year-old center-back Nico Matlu. One plays in Italy with Sassuolo, 30-year-old midfielder Rafilo Jane. One plays in Scotland for Glasgow City, 25-year-old midfielder Linda Montlahalo. Graham, I might come back to you on Glasgow City in a moment. Two play in okay. Mexico. That's 29-year-old forward Jermaine Asopasenwe. 20 and 22 year old forward Nicolo Sassane. One plays in South Korea. That's 28-year-old forward Hilda Magaya, who I mentioned earlier. And one plays Are you just in the- reading the Wikipedia page? No, no. <laughs> I think it's relevant to apply this context for folks uh, who, who don't know some of these players. One is in the NWSL for Racing Louisville, and that's Stanby Katlana that I mentioned earlier. I want to go back to Matlahalo. She's a well-rounded central midfielder. Uh, looking forward to watching her again. She plays for Glasgow City. Graham, I know you've written about Glasgow City for TSD, baby. Can That's you right. give like a 12-second primer on Glasgow City? Because I think it's a fascinating story and will also yeah. provide some good context for Metal game and her level. I'm counting 12 yeah, seconds, so- by the way. Okay, Glasgow City are the flag bearers
3: for women's football in Scotland have been for like the last two decades. So while the men's game is dominated by Celtic and Rangers, Glasgow, Glasgow City have won, I forget the numbers, but something like 12 out of the last 13 league titles. Um, but they kind of... More recently are struggling to hold back the tide from Celtic and Rangers who are investing a lot of money in their women's team. And so there's a sense that they will be overtaken at some point soon. But for the time being, they are still the reigning Scottish champions playing the Champions League every season.
2: Graham, is this like the uh, the team in Spain, like Madrid CFF, who yes, were sort exactly. of started and now they're getting caught up? Okay, gotcha, cool. Exactly the same situation. That's a really good comparison, actually. Sweet. All right. I, I, I found myself reading about them a lot because I was sort of like, who is this Madrid team and why do they have the same colors as Real Madrid but not be Real Madrid? And yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. Were- so is it basically just a, a, they funded sooner, essentially?
3: Yeah, exactly. Celtic Rangers weren't interested for a long time. The Madrid team is a little bit like a pro-evo team where they became Madrid before Real Madrid (laughs) were like, should we launch a
1: women's team? Um, And now they've got a women's team and they're good. But yeah, same sort of thing. That Madrid CFF squad has a couple of Zambia legends on it as well. Hashtag shout out to the Copper Queens. Um... All right, so with, with Motlahalo, Graham, thank you for the that cop, The copper middle
2: managers, thank you, Jill. Yes,
1: yeah. I mean, 8th eight, eight is, eight is, is pretty high up in the grand scheme of things. Um, sure. <laughs> so she has she has good speed, good right foot, can cover ground in midfield, likes to drive forward into the attack and arrive in the box. I like her game. She's not going to blow, you, blow your mind, but she is a solid contributor, and that's, again, Linda Motlahalo. Fembi Katlana, who I've mentioned a couple of times now, is a reserve forward for Racing Louisville. Eight games to them so far this year, 314 minutes, one goal. In terms of her profile, she likes to slip in behind. Good counter-attacking threat, can drift wider into the half spaces and drive at defenders in those spots as well. She likes to have the ball on her right foot, um, but but really solid, adds some versatility to this team. Again, her her status as a reserve for Racing Louisville does provide some context for some limitations in this squad. The last player, though, that I want to mention, Hilda Magaya, I've mentioned her name a couple of times already, too. She can play on the wing, can play up top, scored a brace in the AFCON final in that clash with Morocco. She scored both goals for South Africa in a 2-1 win, likes to sneak in behind, add some real directness and, and kind of vertical threat wherever she's playing. She can pop up in different spots and, and really good movement off the ball and vision inside the box to find space. We could see her in a number of different roles. I'm expecting that she'll be on the on the wing, providing some real depth and dimension in that spot, but... She is somebody worth watching. Again, that's Hilda Magaya. So not a lot of players that I think most casual women's soccer fans will know in this squad. Not even a lot of names that, that maybe our listeners who watch a lot of NWSL games will know in this squad. But those are some folks who play outside of South Africa that could have maybe an outsized impact on this team's performance at the World Cup.
0: I'm just looking into that Madrid CCF a little bit more because I know there's a player from South Africa who we'll be talking about on the next episode of this. <gasps> is this, is this South Korea? South excuse me. Um, this is a team. Do we think Graham that would like maybe one day get absorbed by Real Madrid? Is that the direction?
3: Uh I'm not sure. I don't know
2: enough were, about it. They the... were supposed to be in twenty fourteen, that was the rumor, and then that did not happen, and now Real Madrid right. have their own team. So I think they're just gonna remain distinctly separate for the time being and foreseeable future.
0: Mm fierce separatists, very very basque of them in the uh, heart of Franco Town. Let's not get political too much about this. Taylor, why don't you tell us about the uh, the key players on um, on the team which we were talking about, which is, of course, Argentina. Perhaps. Hello, oh, there we go. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Uh Argentina
2: do have two players who play for Madrid CFF while we're on the topic. Uh, Aldana Cometti, who's a centre-back, and then Florencia Bonsegundo, the aforementioned. I'll talk about her some more as we go. But I'm going to start with their goalkeeper, uh, Vanina Correa, 39 39- nine-year-old goalkeeper for Rosario Central. She's had a long career all over Argentina, but only has 41 caps for as long as that career has been. Uh, The thing I noticed about her and watching her, uh, very good with her feet and very calm in distribution. She is accurate, she does a good job of playing it out to the wings, to the fullbacks as they're in more advanced positions. But a lot of the time she will, maybe not a lot of the time, but often enough, she will wait for the opposition players to get pretty close and then either try to bend it around them or sort of lob over them. And so in that way I think facilitates the build out because she pulls players in and then has good distribution also a fine goalkeeper as well ahead of her uh the likely center back pairing would be Miriam Mayorga and Aldana Cometti. the aforementioned um they have very good defensive numbers when it comes to duels one as well as ariel's one they are fine if unremarkable in possession uh they will keep the ball they'll move it they'll find good passes but I don't Think of them as very adventurous in that passing if they do go along it's usually sort of hopeful balls into the channels less so balls pinged into feet which is a shame because the players ahead of them are very good on the ball starting with mariana La Roquette. she can play on the right wing uh, but lately has been i think that's where she plays for orlando uh, but lately has been more of that main striker and she is very good in front of goal uh, although a lot of her goals are the scrappy ones I was referring to earlier, but really, really good with her back-to-goal. Um, and that, that is a feature of Argentina's uh, play, is basically center backs move the ball around, eventually playing it to one of the fullbacks. The fullback then, maybe 30 yards from their own goal, looks for a driven ball into the center of the pitch for Larroquette, who's checked away, checked two, and then she either heads it or chests it down to one of the other central midfielders, and then everybody spins off and they all attack as a unit. And she's super good at that, at controlling the ball through traffic, winning those aerials, heading them down to feet or chesting them down to feet, and then uh, getting into the attack. I think she scored one goal slide tackling a defender as the defender went to clear the ball. She scored another one that, like, I want hit, to see that. Like, went through, I think, went through the goalkeeper's legs as she was diving, but then was kicked into the net by uh, an opposition defender. That. Yeah, it's <laughs> like there's a lot of strange goals for this Argentina team. La Roquette is very much involved in them. So too is Florencia Bonsegundo, 29 year old attacker, uh, very good on the ball, very technical in her dribbling through traffic. Clever finisher when she's in the box. I saw her go for like the chipped finish from 12 yards out that dinged off the post. You gotta love that. She is a string puller wherever she's gonna play, she can play wide. She can play more central as a number 10. She can play as like a a number eight. But I really think of her for this Argentina team similar to what Luka Modric does for Real Madrid, where he will play as a central midfielder, but then in defense is stepping out and they're going into that more 4-4-2. He has fewer defensive responsibilities and is there to sort of connect play and facilitate the counter. I would say that is very much what Segundo does on the defensive side. And then the last player I wanted to spotlight, Lorena Benitez. 24-year-old midfielder for Palmeiras in Brazil. Uh, as I said, this team, you'll see them listed in a 4-2-3-1 or in a 4-4-2. To me, it is a 4-3-3 when they are in attack with Benitez the deepest. Um, and she she's drops deep. She doesn't go between the center backs. She stays out in front of them. So you have that sort of diamond of goalkeeper, two center backs holding midfielder. She will be the one who is most willing to switch the point of attack. And she does it really. She tries to do it really, really quickly quickly. And it does seem like Argentina will overload one side, she'll shift over, receive the ball turn, and then look for that big switch and sort of release uh, play as she can. Uh, And that can be both very good, it can also be very bad. I'll talk about the very bad when it comes to my specific prediction. But one other thing you'll see is uh, the goalkeeper, Correa, with the ball at her feet. The center back spread wide. When that press comes, Benitez will then sprint back 10 or 15 yards centrally, ball played into her feet. She will one-time it out wide to the fullback, and then, again, you attack down the channel. So it's very much possession to get it wide, to then get it forward. To theoretically create shooting opportunities, but they don't often get very high percentage chances. So I'm going to say counterattacks, high pressing, and set pieces are where you're going to see Argentina most often creating goal scoring opportunities.
0: Exciting stuff, Taylor. I like the sound of that one. Yes, Uh, sir. Speaking of exciting stuff, I'm excited about Argentina. Yeah, Mm -hmm. as am I, as am I. And I'm also excited about the perfectly adequate Sweden, Graham. Uh, Tell (laughs) us about some of their key players.
3: Yeah, so there's only one place to start when highlighting key players key players for Sweden and that is with Fridolina Rolfö who scored the winning goal in this season's Champions League final. Rolfo's actually been playing as a left-back for Barcelona recently, but she will be used in a more advanced role at this World Cup, probably on the left wing, where she'll have the freedom to move inside and link up and be creative from there. So she's a bit of a reverse crystal done, basically, for Sweden. Um, She is crucial to the way that Sweden move the ball forward and progress the ball. She is a rare breed, Rolfo, in that she's very good at breaking the lines through her use of possession and her passing, but she's also excellent at carrying the ball as well and bursting into space so i i, I think with a lot of midfield players, although she'll be um, more positioned on the wing, even though she'll play a lot centrally. I think that's quite a, a rare quality to be good on at on, on both things um, with the ball. Up front, Stina Blackstenius will be Sweden's starting number nine. She plays for Arsenal, where she enjoyed a good season last season. She has very sharp reactions inside the box. Um, she can play at pace. She's tenacious. So she'll be very dangerous in the final third. Uh, Sofia Jakobsen will probably start on the right. And what she offers to the Sweden team is pace. That's the main reason she's in this team. So Sweden will sometimes use that switch that I was talking about earlier to get Jakobsen into space where she can then steam forward into the box and do something with the ball. Um, Oslani will operate in the in the number 10 position where she can find pockets of space and she will do a lot of drifting depending on where She sees areas to exploit the the opposition team. She is excellent at linking the midfield with the attack and, and she will move to one side or the other. She can go either to the left or the right. And the reason she does that is to create passing triangles and options. And it's quite common to see Sweden kind of bounce passing or passes around those triangles with Aslani involved and then play that switch to the other side. That's something that I noticed when I watched them. They do that quite frequently. And then looking at the defence, Magdalena Eriksson will play in central defence and she is one of the best in her position. She could collect her 100th cap for Sweden at this tournament. She's currently at Bayern Munich. She played for Chelsea. So she is certainly proven at the top level um, and she's good in the air. She is good in a just like traditional defensive sense and provides Sweden with some steel at the back, but is also central to the way that they play out from the back. And it's common to see Ericsson play long passes forward into the wide areas in particular, with those big diagonal balls from defence to get things moving quickly from defence into the attack. Um, Carolina Seger, um, who is Sweden's most capped player in history and has 230 caps to her name. Um, She hasn't been... uh, Excuse me, she has been included in the squad. There was some debate over, over whether she would or not. This will be her fifth World Cup, which is remarkable 13 other players from the 2019 world cup are back in this squad but hannah glass is one player who is missing through a a bad injury so she won't be taking part in this tournament that's obviously a shame but this is a a strong sweden squad with a lot of quality a lot of experience i think they'll finish
0: top of this group marvellous stuff grant thank you very much and if you'll allow me i'd like to talk about a few key players from the italian side as well i'm going to start off with manuela giuliano who I would consider the fulcrum of this team, 25-year-old midfielder who plays for Roma. Interestingly, Graham, where's the number 10 shirt at Roma? The first player to do so since Ooh. since him, since that guy. Yeah, since the guy. Since the guy. The, guy, the handsome man Indeed. that everyone loves. Indeed, but she's not really a totty, trucker kind of player. Players are a bit deeper than that. Cites Andrea Pirlo as a key influence, does Giuliano. Um, I think maybe more of the Jorginho metronome sprang about kind of thing is the vibe you think of when you think of this player. Sits in the defensive midfield in the 4, four, three, four 3 3. I'm, excuse me. That's, that's the impressed. hack right there. That's the hack. Todd <laughs> that's Bowie's how you listening. get the advantage. Um, she likes to spray <laughs> about there. She's uh, very good also with the set pieces, free kicks and corners as well. Ten goals in Sergio Ramos last season. Uh, I'd also like to highlight the veteran striker Christiana, 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 excuse me, Girelli, who is a forward for Juventus. Eight goals in qualifying. That's twenty percent of Italia's Italia's Italy's qualifying goals. Goodness good as me can't speak today she is often relied upon and will be relied upon more so at this tournament because of the absence of Martina Piumenti of AC Milan who was a key competitor for this position but has been left out I'll get to that a bit shortly so it's all going to be about Giurelli up top uh, a few other players I'd like to highlight as well Ariana Caruso Juventus's midfielder a lot of Juventus and Roma in this squad by the way she uh, will play on the left side of midfield in a 4-3-3 seven goals in qualifying a key playmaker This team. Also on the left side, we've got Lisa Bortin, who's a left back for, once again, Juventus. So a teammate there on the left side. She's got 34 national team caps. So Caruso and Bortin are familiar with each other at domestic level. Combining on the left side would be key during possession moving forward for this team. And Elisa Bartoli, who's the most experienced centre-back in this team. A Roma player once again, who's going to be important because of another omission I'll get to shortly. And also I'd like to highlight Martina Lenzini, who's a centre-back from Juventus. So it's going to be Bartilli and Lenzini, I would imagine, who are going to be the starting centre-backs in this squad. She is of Juventus fame. Stepping into big shoes as captain leader legend, um, Juventus defender Saragama has been omitted from this squad. I mentioned earlier that the coach here, I think, is a bit of a risk-taker. Left out, basically two of the biggest players here. The biggest one, arguably, is the aforementioned uh, veteran national team captain uh, and Juventus captain as well, Sara Gama, who's been admitted. She was admitted from the preliminary 32, not just the 23 as well. Um, the coach Bertolini said that she left out Gama because of technical, tactical and physical factors. Uh, Gama said on Instagram... So I- everything. <laughs> yeah, basically. Because, Every reason. Because of all the reasons. Right. Exactly that, exactly that. Uh, Gama said, I accept the choice despite the bitterness of the... These difficult hours due to the methods and times with which this decision was communicated to me. Hmm, Sounds like it was maybe not communicated in the most uh, honourable way. I gave everything in the 18 years spent in the national team since I wore the blue shirt for the first time in 2005. So not a happy bunny there. Neither is Martina Pimenti, the aforementioned striker of AC Milan, who's been... Basically in incredible form for Milan this season. 13 goals and 4 assists for the Rossoneri, but has been left out of this squad as well. Uh, according to Total Football Analysis, who I referred to earlier, uh, Piemonti has a higher XG goal rate. Uh, it's 9.7. That's higher than uh, Alessio Russo. It's higher than Alexandra Pop. Uh, so interesting that she's been left out. Basically, Joe, this is leaving out two Landon Donovans out of this squad. It's insane <laughs> what's going on here. I'm, uh, I'm not sure, but hey... You gotta take risks to win big. Is that what they yeah. say in business? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, that's or a business just, thing. Or just play your best players.
3: That would, work, <laughs> as well,
1: Rem, that would work as well, That would work as well.
2: Yeah. Did you remember mention Barbara Bonansea in there as well? Because she's another one. That's one of the names that I know for Italy. Who I I think last time I previewed them, I got very excited about her and thought she was going to be a breakout star. And she also not on this roster. Definitely, mm. definitely some rolls of the dice here for Italy.
0: The times they are a-changing, as Bob Dylan once said, Tater. They are very much changing in the favour of untested teenagers (laughs) rather than veterans (laughs) in this Italy squad, so we shall see how that one pans out. Sure, it'll be great. Um, I would like to go round the horn one more time with our very specific predictions for this group. Why don't I get the the, the party started, I should say. For Italy, my very specific prediction is is that Italy will not have a goalless game in this group. BTTS, baby, in every single game. Both teams to score for you uh, gambling uh, fiends like me. Uh, I mentioned it, they kind of got an, embarrass- an embarrassment of riches going forward. they got Girelli, as I mentioned earlier, Cicatini. They've got quite a lot of midfield playmakers and goal scorers in potential there. 40 goals in UEFA qualification, as I mentioned. Um, uh, uh, yeah, and Anaria and, and, and Santorini is another player who can get, get goals from 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 the wide areas as well basically goals coming from all over the field but also as we mentioned this team does play a high line they've conceded in four of their five games this year they conceded in all of their arnold clark cup games uh back in the winter back in february but they scored in all of them too so that's my prediction is there's not going to be any goalless games there's not going to be any teams that don't score in games face uh involving this italy team there you go tater what's your vsp for argentina
2: uh, first of all, I really like that prediction because it makes me feel better about Argentina scoring goals. Uh it sounds <laughs> like they will against Italy. I think it it is Graham, you said this earlier. I think Sweden are likely to finish top. They would be the ones that I would pick for first. I really think it's gonna be interesting as to who finishes second, because I could see any one of these teams uh getting out of the group. I do have Argentina getting out. With all that said, because I feel like that's Largely positive. I struggled to find a positive specific prediction because they don't score very readily. And when they do, as I've said for like the fifth time, they are sort of fluky. And I don't really feel like predicting a, like, if they score, it's going to be lucky. That feels slightly unfair or discourteous. What I will say uh, is a thing that I saw happen routinely uh, and wanted to spotlight is Lorena Benitez, that uh, number six midfielder, when she goes for those big switches... She sort of does it in a I'm trying to get the ball from the left side to the right side as quickly as possible or vice versa. And so sometimes that will be she'll shift over, check to make sure that the right side is open, receive the ball and then play it without really looking and oftentimes hits it straight to an opponent, and that leads to counterattacking opportunities. So I think Lorena Benitez will hit the ball directly to an opponent when looking to swing it wide or evade pressure, and she will do this at least three times in the group stage. And if pressed, I would say there's a chance she does it three times in one game, presuming she starts. Uh, It's a thing that happens regularly, and then they're able to usually make up for it and have the numbers back and where they need to be to limit the counterattacking opportunity. But that is a thing that happened enough that I wanted to spotlight it here because I expect it to happen at least three times in the group stage.
0: Very nice VSP, Taylor. Very nice indeed. Thank you, sir. Uh, just a corrections department. Did you say Barbara Bonancia was the player who was not in the Italy squad? Because uh, I believe she is. Okay, good. All yeah. right. Well,
2: then I feel better about their chances. You can be
0: very I'm excited for Worse once about again. everyone else's chances. Yeah. Thank you. Good, you good, go. good. Excitement levels increased. Uh, Graham, your VSP, please.
3: So my VSP for Sweden relates to Fridolina Rofo, who is just such an important player for them. I predict that she'll be in the 90th percentile or higher for shots for shots per 90 minute among all players at this World Cup. So Sweden, as I mentioned earlier, they do a lot to get her into attacking positions inside the box. She does a lot to get herself into those positions by carrying the ball, and I expect that she's going to have a, a, a really productive tournament. As are Sweden. To be honest, I think Sweden are going to. They're going to conform to stereotype a little bit, or at least their their past records. And I don't have them down as a tier one contender for this tournament. But I think they're going to comfortably get out this group and comfortably get through maybe one or two knockout rounds as as well. So I have to admit, of all the teams that I previewed, this is the most confident that I've been about any team being good. But also, kind of the most bored I've been previewing a team. I need I need more chaos. I need I need more kind of madness happening in a team. But I've got that tomorrow with Colombia, So more we'll on that later.
0: <laughs> Another excellent tease for the next show, Graham. Wonderful stuff there. Thank you very much for that. Joe, last but not least, your VSP for uh, South Africa, who's, I, I did check, Saffa is not an offensive term. It's a cricket term for South Africans. Thank you.
1: I'm glad that's the case, Brian. I'd also looked that up like immediately after you said that because I was not aware of any potential risk before we started, but it, it does feel like we're mostly in the clear. My VSP for mm-hmm. South Africa is that they will have at least two shots in all three of their group stage games that come from sequences of super direct attacking play. So they're gonna have like a forward slashing in behind the opposing defense, trying to play that player in either with a nice through ball from midfield or more likely with a direct ball over the top from the back line or from the goalkeeper, or something along those lines, they're not going to create a ton of shots in this tournament. If, if they make it out of the group stage, that's going to be a huge success. It feels like an uphill battle nonetheless. But you know, if they are going to create some danger, it's going to come from those more direct sequences. Uh, they could surprise a few folks and really create some advantages in those moments. So I'm saying that South Africa will have at least two shots in all three of their group stage games that come from those more direct moments. And if they finish those, then uh, they're going to be cooking. Wonderful stuff indeed. There we go, guys. Group G thoroughly
0: previewed. I'm very excited about this one. Uh, listener, by the way, uh, if you want to follow our very specific predictions, you want to talk about this tournament even more, patreon.com slash show if you haven't already enjoyed the party. Uh, Taylor, um, thank you very much for having me back on the show after my uh, island exile. I feel ready to rehearse now. Should we do it all? That was a good run through. Should we do it all again? I'll press record this time. What do you think? I mean, do you want to thank? Do you want
2: to thank, <laughs> you thank yourself for for getting back? I didn't exile you. It sounds like your travel plans exiled you. Mm, karma exiled me, maybe,
0: and that was your fault. Okay, yeah, mm, yeah, maybe <laughs> Fair. so. We'll see. Anyway, Taylor, thank you very much for your contributions on this here show, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Joe Lowry. You the bestest, or one of the four bestest. Oh, Should we get together and play Pogs some, sometime? I've still got all my Pogs. I'll, I'll show you one day, Joe. I'll show you. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> that sounded worse than it should have. Grant, yeah, thank you so sure much. Yeah.
2: You've moved house how many times
0: and <laughs> yeah. you still have
3: Pogs? That's one of the things he takes with them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I wow. Don't,
0: I'm a, I'm very minimalist, Taylor, to be honest. I don't collect a lot of things because I moved mm, house quite a lot. Yeah, long. clearly. But I still have <laughs> And this is going to make me sound very nerdy. I still have my pogs and my stamp collection. There you How go. How
2: many? You're right. You that does make you collection. sound nerdy. Absolutely. Wow. That's, <laughs> no problem That's with nerdier that, but... than anything Joe has said about advanced statistics. So there you go. Yes.
0: Oh boy. Yes. What have I let myself into? Graham Ruthven, thank you very much for doing things on this show.
3: Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Don't show me your pogs.
0: <laughs> Listener, thank you very much. I promise not to show any of my pogs. We're going to be back on the feed very shortly with our Group H preview. But for now, bye.